Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Joining me um, via Zoom is my friend Jackson Jensen. Welcome to the podcast, Jackson. Thanks, Richard. Tell us where you are right now. What state, what city, and anything else you want to tell us about just where you are? Awesome. Yeah. So my name is Jackson Jensen. I currently live in Meridian, Idaho, just outside of Boise. Uh, um, I am currently um, a full-time licensed barber. I'm behind the chair at a shop called The Beardsmith in Garden City, Idaho. Um, I uh, just graduated um, barber school last July. Um, I uh, have loved every minute being behind the chair with my clients, um, getting rapport with people. So that's a little bit what about I'm doing right now. I'm also a dance teacher, so I do that a lot. Um, but that's, that's what I'm doing. That's great. Um, thanks for your courage to come on the story. Jackson is going to share his story listeners as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, I read a Facebook post in March, his coming out post in March 13th, 2021. And I don't know if you sent it to me or I saw it somehow, but that's perhaps how we connected. But 178 comments, I asked Jackson before we went live, did he get any negative comments? And I, I think you said you didn't, not a single one. So um, those comments can be really helpful in healing. Um, Jackson, by way of introduction, is 22. He served a mission in the Lubbock, Texas mission. He um, is, we're going to divide this podcast into three segments, um, life before his mission. And part of that story is being a victim or survival of sexual abuse at age eight. And some would say, well, that's why Jackson's gay is because he was sexually assaulted. And I'll let him tell the story of how he's navigated that and the conclusions he's come to. But I think that part will be helpful for all of us. And I just recognize the courage of Jackson to talk about that. And um, that can be really helpful in healing for other survivors of sexual abuse. Um, Jackson will talk about then, um, part of that will be, you know, navigating his sexual orientation and then serving a mission. Be interested to see how he felt about his mission, um, knowing he was gay. If he came out to anybody, he'll tell us a little bit about that. And then... He's been home from his mission a couple of years, the decision to come out to family and friends and more broad and be on this podcast and just his feelings about his best path forward. We offered a prayer before we started, like we usually do listeners, and we just hope that you feel the spirit. And if you're LGBTQ, that some of Jackson's insights will help you, or if your family or friends, that the things Jackson will share will help us. We talk about... Um, Every story is a little different, and um, there's not just one story that's the same as I've listened to hundreds. So I hope that this this will be a different story, but I think it'll help you write your story as you listen to some of the things Jackson's learned. Is that okay, Jackson, by way of introduction? Yes. Um, so I'll just kind of let you start. I don't know if you want to start with the sexual abuse or take us to junior high and high school. Um, as you were trying to connect the dots between your sexual abuse and your sexual orientation. So it's all yours, man. Yeah, totally. So I'm originally from Carson City, Nevada. Um, my family moved to Weezer, Idaho about nine years ago. Um, and it kind of, uh, my family moved because um, there was a prompting given by the spirit to my parents that we need to move closer to family. They really didn't know why. One of the, the one of the big reasons why they knew um, my grandma had cancer and her cancer was in remission. And Carson City was about 10 to 12 hours away from um, Idaho, from where my, my dad's family was. And so I grew up dancing. I grew up... Um, really heavily into a studio and I was very active and I, I, I did that for, for many years. Um, and I was a type of kid that always had a smile on his face. His hair was always done. His clothes were always on point. Um, I just knew and I cared about how I looked and how I approached people. And so I've always been that way ever since I was a little, little kid. Um, and so 
yeah, my family moved. Um, it was a big, big turning point for our family, especially for me, because I'm a very extrovert. I love to be with people. I'm not a homebody. I'm still learning how to be a homebody. And I'm grateful for that because I know the importance of staying home and um, building relationships inside your own walls of your home. It's really important. So I'm, I'm learning that currently. Um, but so to kind of lead into my um, story about me being sexually abused, um, I was sexually abused at age eight um, from a neighbor in Nevada. Um, and it kind of made me spiral into this um, very depressive state when I moved to Weezer. Um, and I never told my parents until my summer going to my junior year of high school. And that's when we were, that's when I was living in Weezer at the time. And I can remember it really vividly how I kind of told my, um, my parents, it was really interesting. So, um, my family, all of my family have been, we have really good work ethic. Um, I wanted a job in the summer so I can get my own money and buy the things I wanted and hang out with friends and do whatever with it. So I, I, um, applied for jobs during the summer and I got this job at, um, the hospital, the local hospital in Weezer as like a maintenance guy. I like mow the lawn, clean up shrubs, pruned bushes, like whatever they needed me to do. I was kind of like their so-called maintenance guy. Um, and one morning it was, the, it was a summer morning and my mom was getting ready for, um, to go into her office for the day. And, um, me and my mom are super close. She's my best friend, my rock. I tell her everything. Um, and me and her got in a really, really big fight and it was nothing. It was, it was like a fight. Like it was not a normal fight that, you and your son, my mom and me would, would fight about, I, I guess. And I was just at a very hard place in my life. I didn't like living in a small town. I'm a city boy. I miss, I miss me dancing for six hours a day. Um, I just, I just missed where I was and I didn't like the current situation I was in. And I was very opinionated about, about it. I was very upfront to my parents that I didn't like to hear that I, you know, wanted to go back to Carson and live with, a family friend and, you know, do to live on my, my dance career, you know? And so we, me and my mom continued to fight that morning and she was getting ready for work and, you know, we kind of stopped and I was, I had to go into, you know, my job at the hospital and she came into my room and she was like, Jack, I don't know what spirit's trying, trying to tell me, but all I can tell you is that something big is going to happen to our family or something big is going to happen to me and your dad's current relationship with you. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't know what the spirit's trying to tell me, but that's what I needed to tell you. And I hope you have a good day. And I was like, I rolled my eyes at her just like a normal teenage boy would to their mom. And I was like, what did you, we just moved 13 hours to a different state, to a small podunk town that I don't know about. I have no friends. I don't have a dance studio to dance at. Like, I'm not comfortable. Like, what else could, like, what other big thing could you throw at me, you know? And so I went to work, kind of just, like, was disappointed and mad the whole day. And so the hospital had um, a house that all, like, the um, out-of-state surgeons stayed at when they were doing special surgeries for a hospital because um, it's a really small hospital and they don't have a lot of surgeons to like make their rounds, I guess. So I was at the, their ha the um, surgeon house, I guess you could call it. And I was just and I, um, the spirit hit me so hard. And that was like the first time I really understood or felt the Holy ghost in a way that like it changed my life for like the bigger picture. And the spirit was like, Jack, it's time to let this part of your life go. It's time to, to tell your parents to share your story that you were sexually assaulted. And 
you you don't have anything to worry about. It's going to be a hard road. It's going to be uh, you're going to be tried and tested, but I'll be along with you through the whole thing. And so I um I was shocked. I was like I just kind of fell to the floor in this garden bed of roses and it was kind of symbolic, honestly. Um, and when I thought about it, when I write this, when I wrote this blog post, I do have a blog. Um, when I wrote this blog post a year and a half ago, and when I tell people this, um, it kind of reminds me of um, Christ getting um, beaten, whipped. Um, and when he, um, when the soldier was, when the soldier placed the crown of thorns on Christ's head. Um, I felt inkling, inkling of what Christ felt for me. And I think that was the turning point in my relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And um, rose bushes to this day um, bring back a very special place in my heart. And so that was the kind of turning point I... Um, I, my brother just got back from his mission a week before and I set up a lunch date with him and I was like, Hey, can we, can we go out to lunch? Like, I just, I need to tell you something that no one knows that I need to get off my chest. And I don't know how I, how I, I don't know what help I need. And I know that you can help me. And so I told my brother, um, my experience that I had with, um, when I was in Carson and, um, he gave me the courage to tell my parents. So I told, uh, my parents the next day and it was a big, big week for my family. It was 4th of July weekend. My brother was going to, my brother proposed to his, um, wife that same weekend. I told my parents I was sexually abused. It was a, it was a, it was a big week for my family. Um, so-called or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I got the uh, help that I needed and it kind of um, spiraled into um, thing after thing and me building up my relationship with God and Jesus Christ and um, my, my testimony with, with the church. You're doing a good job, Jackson, of talking about pretty tender topics and uh, it takes so much courage. You're doing this pretty naturally as I watch you, but I just recognize this is something nobody should have to go through, as you know. And this is something that you kept to yourself for maybe eight, nine years and then felt by the Spirit it was time to talk about this to your brother. Sounds like that was a positive experience that you felt impressed to talk to your parents about this. Um I don't know if you want to take us to your mind as you were aging up, wondering if this was your fault, if you brought this on, or if you were 100% innocent, if you felt God didn't love you. This is partly you talking to other survivors of sexual abuse that maybe need to hear some of the, the things that to help them feel hope and help them feel that they are a 100% victim. So any thoughts? I don't know if you want to share any thoughts in that space. Yeah, totally. Um, and I love that question because I have thought for, you know, after, since I came out with my abuse story to my parents, you know, I've, I've had deep conversations with the Lord and with my parents. And I always thought that this was God telling me that I can handle hard things, um, that I, that I chose this to be a part of my more mortal journey that I chose to be raped. Um, and that's not the case anymore. I don't, I, I don't think any human being or God, our, our father in heaven would allow that to happen to any, any child of his. Um, but me being the person that I am, I put others needs before mine. And I, I always felt in my heart I don't know if this is true. I don't know if this is doctrine, whatever you want to call it, that I took this trial from someone else. 
I kind of think that I, when I was, when I was, before I came to this earth, I was like, Heavenly Father, I'm going to do this because I know someone else is not strong enough to carry this with them their whole life and to be positive about it and to share their experience with it. But I'm, this is, this is my thing. Um, and I do, I do think that a little bit. Um, I, I, I don't know if that, that's truth. Like I said, I know it's doctrine. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I don't think that that stemmed my sexuality to this day. I don't think because I was raped that I am gay. Um, because let me just jump in as here I, as you transition to your sexual orientation. I, I, um, that's pretty thoughtful in your mind, you know, between eight and when coming out to your parents or even now that, um, this, I think you're, that you took this. So someone else didn't have to take this, that creates purpose in this, you know, the sexual assault. And it perhaps is a little more positive than thinking I'm a 100%. This is 100% my fault. God doesn't love me. So your mind did some good things there. And I, I'm fine with what you said. And I think you've, but I think you're also saying that I don't think God would, you know, this isn't a God I love. He allows agency to occur, but he wouldn't intentionally set it up so that I was sexually assaulted. Um, but perhaps your sexual assault prevented another sexual assault. So there's purpose in that. And I like things that give hope and purpose. Um, is that okay what I said? Do you disagree? I just want to make sure I'm not putting words into your mouth, Jackson. Yeah. That's okay. So listeners, let's trans... Some of you are wondering, and I would be wondering until I've just talked to enough people, okay, this is why Jackson's gay, because um, Jackson was you know raped at age eight. So I don't know... You, so talk to us about that. I don't know as you're figuring out your sexual orientation, you're thinking, well, this is because I was raped or this is different. So that's a fascinating part of your story that I think will be helpful for listeners. Yeah. And I, I, I don't, I think I struggled for a long time thinking that it was that like, okay, I was, I was raped and that's the reason why. Um, that's the reason why I'm gay. And that's the reason why I've had such a hard life was because of my abuse. And I think my mind had to make a shift. Um, it's interesting um, because I feel like my mind has made a shift in the last two years from getting off my mission, um, from finding my authentic self. And I think as many people think that they that their sexuality stems from abuse. I, I don't think that's true. And I'll be very honest here. I think that's a crutch. I think that's a crutch because we as human beings are not ready to... What am I trying to say here? we're not ready or we're not capable of going through our emotions on by ourselves. So we say things that, Oh, this is because of this. This is because of that. I did this because of this. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I'm a pretty stubborn person and I like to figure out things for myself. I don't like the word no. And um, I'm going to put my mind and I'm going to do things to uh, not think about it. You know what I mean? Because I feel like if we dwell on an experience, it just digs your hole deeper. And when I came out with my abuse story, I was just, I felt so free. I felt so free. Why? And help, I hear that a lot. Of, I hear, yeah, help people understand why it was freeing to come out with your abuse story. So it's interesting. Um, I have read a lot about the mind and how, how it works. So think of your mind as like a filing cabinet. It files everything traumatic in one part of your brain, everything good in a part of your brain, everything bad in the part of your brain, everything in between, like every single thing. Um, and there are certain triggers that triggers that memory of a time in your life. And so I, um, 
I learned this from going to, to EMDR therapy. Um, if any of you, if you've heard of EMDR therapy, that's wonderful. I speak so highly of it. Um, it is with bilateral stimulation. So it stimulates your mind to remember and to go through your traumatic experiences organically. Um, you use two vibrators in your hands and um, it's, it's a big meditation process. And so you go through each part of your life and you have different windows and different doors and different feelings that kind of trigger certain behaviors, certain traumas in your life. And that's what helped me kind of free my mind to understand that this is me being raped is not who I am. It's not who Jackson Jensen is. Yes, it was an experience for my life. Yes, it was very hard and it was very earth-wrenching at the time. But right now I can say to anyone who asks me or who, to, who comes to me and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. Like, I know you went through it. You can help me. Um, and it's just so freeing to say that now that I'm like, I'm not, it's not earth shakingly painful to get out of bed. It's not earth shakingly painful to talk to people about what sexual assault is. Yes. I shut down people when they talk about it in an unkind, vulgar way. Um, which is so sad to say, but that's kind of the society where people really don't know how to read the room and they kind of just say things to say it. Um, and so I've learned for the utmost respect to people that that's just not a conversation that we're going to talk about right here, right now. We can schedule a meeting to talk about it. Um, but I think once I learned how to, how to disassociate my sexual abuse with my sexuality, there was a door that opened to a new gate and to a new mindset of me becoming who I am to this day. It's a really helpful segment, Jackson. You're 22 and you've got some incredible skills that you've learned um, through good people in your life and you're able to help other people work through really traumatic things. And this is pure trauma. This is pure evil that came into your life, but you've been able to work through it in a positive way. It's a credit to you. It's a credit to your family. It's a credit to therapy. It's a credit to Jesus. Um, talk about when you came out to your parents with the abuse, um, was there discussion about your sexuality at that time? And sort of did, and were you even considering your sexuality at that time, or was that sort of a separate um journey in your in your life that you were still processing you know that was a, a separate conversation that I had with my parents um, we didn't really address how I was feeling because I didn't I, I didn't really know uh, what I was doing, if that makes sense yes. I didn't know my sexuality I I had a girlfriend in high school um, you know I, I did have a girlfriend at the time when I did come out, um, with my sexual abuse story. Um, and you know, I, I thought I was, I was straight. I was attracted to my girlfriend in high school. Um, but there wasn't really a set conversation after my abuse story of like, okay, are you gay? Are you bi? Are you pansexual or asexual? Um, there was never really a conversation. The only conversation really kind of happened in high school. Um, but not even then it was really after my mission when I really came out to my parents. So you, um, r remind our listeners the age you were when you talked to your brother and your parents. I was 16, almost 17. And then you left on your mission a couple years later. Yeah. I left on my mission 2018. So this period of time, um, it sounds like when you came out to your parents about, I came out, I'm nervous listeners about using the same language of talking about sexual abuse and sexual orientation. They're so different that I don't even want to use the same coming out terms just to confuse it. The ones, they're completely different categories. Um, 
that they both take a lot of courage to talk about and they're both freeing to your point. So it sounds like during your high school years, you were not out to anybody because you were still internally processing your own sexual orientation and you left on your mission. And maybe if I had in an honest conversation, if you had had an honest conversation with me or yourself about your sexual orientation as you left on your mission, would you say I'm, where would you be? Um, before my mission? Yeah, before your mission, just as you left, would you were you thinking a lot about um, your sexual orientation? Were you just kind of not really dealing with that and working, looking forward to your mission and kind of, or were you aware that you were still trying to figure that part of your journey out too? I was a little bit, but I was pretty common and I was pretty confident that I I wasn't attracted to women. Um, and I use that as a crutch. Um, and I kind of, I, I, I put it back in my, in my mind. I put it back in my rem- my memory. I put it back in my filing cabinet, what you would call it, um, to not remember that, you know, I'm gay. Um, cause I was scared. Um, and to be honest, um, I, I have, I have cousins that were gay and I, I, I knew what it was. I, I did. Um, but to be honest, my family, my parents didn't really talk about it to us. And that was hard for me. That was, we did talk about it, but it wasn't like, like the conversation was just like easy. You know what I mean? It wasn't a hard conversation to have because I was around it. I knew what it was. I knew that like, I didn't want that in my life that at that point, I guess you could say or living the, living a gay lifestyle. Uh, but yeah, I kind of put it on the back burner and I wanted to serve a mission. I, my parents are very um, lenient, honestly. Um, my parents weren't the parents to say like, you need a serve a mission. Like that's your priesthood duty. Like in the church, you, you need a serve a mission. My parents left it up to us. They, they really did. And I, and I love and respect that about my parents because they wanted to find, they wanted us as their children to find out for themselves that mission was right. And I wanted to do it. I, I had dreams and I ho- had hopes to serve a mission and, and to teach people um, about, you know, my testimony in Jesus Christ and um, how um, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you could do you can say that's what we taught as missionaries. And so I wanted to, um, and going into my mission, I was like, okay, I'm not going to talk about it. This is going to be my kind of story. This is, this is my own thing. Um, and I'm going to put on the back burner and I'm going to serve the Lord with my whole heart and I'm going to do my due diligence and, um, hit the pavement, honestly. And I, I loved my mission. I, I really did. Don't get me wrong. It was the hardest two years of my life. It, it, it was. Um, but I don't know who's listening to this, but if you were in my mission, if I met you on my mission, I am so grateful for you. Um, I, I know that I have lots of friends that um, are members of the church still and who... Um, I met as um, ward families in the wards I've served, and I and I loved it. I loved my mission. Uh, there were some hard experiences. Um, I did come home from a trans. I did come home early, a transfer early. I was honorably released, uh, but I I don't regret it at all. I tell people. I um, tell my brother all the time emissions are for you they're only for yourself and i am going to be honest a selfish missionary is a righteous missionary and i say that because in the doctrine and covenants it talks about how if you only have one conversion if that conversion is yourself then that's all that matters um, and I, I lived by that on my mission. I, um, I loved seeing people go into the waters of baptism. I loved it. Um, 
but I knew that my mission was just as much for me than it was for my friends that I talked. Um, and so you can be, you can be selfish. You can. Um, I think that's, that's a very healthy and respectful mindset that we need to be as, as, as people. Um, I like that, Jackson. I, I like that. I just, sometimes you've served for two years and sometimes we want to create a motive around it that the only correct way to serve is just pure love of other people. And, and I think the reality of the human spirit and, you, you know, is it's, I think it's fine to say, this is, I, I'm doing this for me and I know it will help me and it'll help me then be a better place to help others. And I'm going to help some people along the way, but I love what you, I think that makes you a righteous missionary. I think God would say, I accept your offering and I will bless you and sustain you and it will help you, but you'll help a bunch of people along the way. And then you're not dealing with this. Do I, you know, am I here for the right reason or will God help me because I'm not quite here for the reasons I sometimes read or hear. And I just think God meets you where you are and you're honest and you're authentic and that's very helpful. So I love what you said. Um, I interrupted you, but I'd love you to talk about um, just, so you've had two years where you don't have to really think about your sexual orientation. Some of my guests, in the sense you're not dating, but some of my guests that are on a mission are processing this. They've kind of got a timeout from the dating. They've got a timeout from their family and their culture and that dating culture. And they get a chance to just really process this, but some don't. They just kind of keep it on the shelf. So I'm kind of curious, you know, as you're coming home from Lubbock on a plane ride home or sort of, you know, reflecting about your future, if your sexual orientation is something you're thinking about a lot, or if that came more after your mission. Yeah. Um, so I, I never really had anxiety and depression on my mission. My mission. I, um, I did, towards the end of my mission, I did, I, I do have ADHD. Um, and it was a little hard for me to concentrate, um, I do have to say. Um, but a mission helped me because I'm really routine-based. I, I love having routine. I love having a schedule. I love, this is, this is where I wake up and this is where I end my day. And I have certain things that I do in the day to help me. And so I love that about being a missionary. But after my mission, I come home, I came home two years. Well, it'll be two years, um, the 22nd of this month of December. Um, and I was worried sick coming home because I knew that I would have to make some very tough decisions in my life. Um, and it was, it was really hard coming home. Um, there was lots of suicidal thoughts. I, I do have to say, um, and, um, just kind of realizing that, okay, what, what am I going to do? What does my life look like? Am I going to marry a woman? Am I going to um, so-called leave the church? I, or am I going to marry a man? Um, so I was at a, I was, it was a turmoil. I was like, what, what should I do? So it sounds like it because you're having this turmoil, just so I'm clear, you're aware of your sexual orientation is at least not straight. Um, do you, would you, at that point, would you, I mean, what would you say where you were at that point if you were talking, if you were labeling yourself? I was, I, I labeled myself as bisexual. Okay. Um, I, I tried the dating thing after my mission. Um, and I'm the type of person that um i can only try it once and i know what my decision is if if i if i know like i have pretty good intuition i have pretty good what my heart's telling me and i'm gonna do it um and i i knew i knew a little bit after my mission uh, dating women and going out on dates and, and trying the whole mutual app thing and going to YSA and, and doing that that it it was good it, it was good but it all it was also very 
depressing and very traumatic for me. I say that because I wasn't like all the other men in the YSA. Um, and that was, that was hard for me because I love fashion. I love to dance. I love to cook. Um, I love um, doing all the things, the, doing all those things. Not like that. That's like a stereotypical thing. I don't want to say there, there are men who are straight who love to do those things that, that don't, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But what I'm trying to, to say is I, I, I just was a different, like I was a, I was a sore thumb out of the bunch. Um, I, you know, I, I wore different blazers to church. I, I wore, you know, loafers to, to church and I showed my ankle and I, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I did those things. Um, because I was, I wanted to be myself and this is how I presented myself. And I knew that if I showed up for people, they would show, show up and, and return. Um, and, and they did. And I, I have so many great friends in, in the church and so many wonderful mentors. Um, but that still doesn't mean it's, it's hard for me. That still means it's still hard for me to go to church, if that makes sense. But, um, after my mission, um, I, I, I came out to, so I did the whole dating thing, um, in the YSA and mutual. And a couple months after that was done, I was kind of, I was, I was done with it. Um, I came out to my parents and, um, I just told them like, I am gay. I don't know what that looks like. For you guys, I don't know what that looks like for me, but please give me grace. Um, and it was hard. Like, I did not give myself grace. I was worried sick about what people would think of me in the church or how I present myself to others or um, what my life would look like. Um, I'm so my I was so caught up in like the future of what my future would look like. Then I was, then I, I wasn't focused on the present moment. And I think that's what kind of got me all in this turmoil of decisions of what I should do either in the church or outside of the church. Um, but then I did start going to, well, I moved to Salt Lake city um, a little bit before COVID um, and then COVID happened. I lost my two jobs and then I moved back home. I originally was going to start barber school in Salt Lake city. I mean, I wanted to be a barber. I wanted to create my life in Salt Lake city. Um, and so I was like, new start, new city to live in. No one really knows me except for a couple of my mission friends and a couple of my, aunt, my aunt, aunts and uncles on my mom's side. So I was like, I'm moving. This is what I'm going to, going to do. Um, moved back home um and then I started school here um in Nampa I went to Palm Mitchell Nampa and um that's that's how I kind of found you know myself um I didn't really I don't really know like how I wanted to be a barber I met a couple of barbers on my mission and I thought that they were super cool how they worked with their hands all the time and they worked with people and they had style and they had, um, you know, they were really loyal to their clients and had pretty rough backgrounds, but they're, they were making a name for themselves and they were trying to get on their feet again. And I just thought it was a cool environment and industry to be in. I cut hair on my mission a couple of times. It wasn't like I was, I wasn't like, the barber missionary don't get me wrong um but it's interesting how natural and how like talented i am at it obviously like no matter what industry you're in you have to work at it and i still am um but i i have loved it um and so these past two years i have been truly working on my myself and you know where i where i stand with sexuality with my own sexuality and where i stand with spiritualism um and just recently in the past like six months i've i've really dove deep into self-reflection and self-love and meditation and um knowing that there are certain things 
to to help me combat my mental state and my depression and anxiety. Um, and this is another point I wanted to touch on, just because I, I don't really know what other people's stance on it, but I just want to share my opinion because this is how, this is what I believe that works for me. Um, some days I am really depressed. Some days I'm really sad. Some days I don't want to get out of bed. And I think that goes for everybody. Um, and I am not the type of person to, um, for me, medicine doesn't work for me. It, it, it really, it, it really doesn't. Um, because I know on my mind, I am, I'm putting something in my body that is changing my mental state to, um, kind of fog or fade the actual feeling I'm feeling. And I don't like that feeling. So recently I have turned to daily meditation and kind of whole holistic living, I guess you could call it. Um, and I have found that that's been a very life-changing experience for me. I, I think meditation is one of God's ways of teaching to help us be in tune with ourselves. Um, and I, I pray when I meditate, I, um, I write down the feelings that I am feeling and what I can do to improve my lifestyle and what I can do to um, grow the person I am. And so I think now I have finally realized that, yes, every certain thing in my life has happened for a divine and poignant, poignant reason, but I don't have to dwell on that. I think when we dwell on our past life experiences, not past life experience, when we d dwell on the past experiences we've had in our lives and we say, what was me? This is what happened. Like, look at me. I, I don't share my story because I want like a self pity party moment. I share my story because I know I'll help someone. And I know that someone needs to be taught by me that no one else can teach them. And so for me to kind of combat my sexuality, to understand that I'm not broken, I'm not sick. God still loves me. Jesus Christ shows up for me that I'm, I'm okay. And I, I wish the best for, for everybody. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't, I don't put the LGBTQ community on a pedestal. I see us as equal. And once we see ourselves as equal human beings, to straight men, straight women, to whatever you, whatever you, our sexually orientation is, we are all human beings and we're all God's, God's children at the end of the day. Just because what I do in my life doesn't make me a, doesn't make me like, oh, like, look at me. Like we are all divine and equally created in our, in God's own way that we are here to share a purpose. And I think you, you hit it on the nail, um, Richard, you hit the head on the nail when you said that, um, when our life is driven by purpose, it creates more meaningful relationships and meaning and more meaningful experiences for our life. Um, and I think that that's so true. I think when we find our why to our life, when we find the reason why we are doing this job, why we have these relationships, it's because our lives are driven by purpose. And, and that's what I want to teach people. I want to teach people that, we don't have when, when we live by purpose, that's when we're the happiest. Um, and I want, there's this quote by, um, 
خب I'm just going to read a comment here while you're looking for that. Um, so you keep looking for that, um, Jackson. And I, listeners, this was this question about because Jack was a, a victim of sexual abuse is part of my book. It's one of the false statements in um, a chapter in my book. It's sort of like why people are gay, chapter three. And false statement number three is they are LGBTQ because they are sexually abused as children. And a few readers, you know, this one on page 47, Sam Skidmore says, I have not been sexually abused. I'm also gay. Two separate facts about my life. I have done a fair amount of research in my graduate degree, and there's no actual proof that sexual abuse causes homosexuality. Yes, there are some correlated cases. There are also some oral uncorrelated cases. And another gay man, Jeff Case, says, I am gay, but I was not sexually abused and had great parents. While childhood sexual abuse is positively correlated with homosexuality in adulthood, there is no causal link. More likely than abuse causing same-sex attraction, predators are good at picking out boys on the outside who lack good connections, who might seem effeminate. In no way, in capital letters, am I blaming the victim I'm merely stating that predators learn to observe and groom young boys, young men who they believe are better. They are better able to control and manipulate. So I bring that up and I hope that's not re-traumatizing anyway to Jackson, just that I kind of wanted to keep everything in a nice tidy box um, that uh, this, something went wrong. And so everybody that's gay, it's because of these 10 reasons and God would never make anybody gay. So um, if I can just explain away why someone's gay, then I have no responsibility here to bear more in comfort or figure out what I can do to help people like Jackson feel like they belong. But when I started to listen to people like Jackson listeners and others, I recognized that these are two different things. And um, I think the personal revelation that Jackson is seeing, this is who he is, and it's separate from this event in his life. And then the responsibility is back on me. Um what am I going to do to support Jackson and bear mourning comfort and help him feel like he belongs? Because this is who he is. Um, so that's just a comment on that. And the other comment I'd make at this point, um, then I'll turn it back to you, is I think of the parable of the talents when I think of Jackson. I'm going to read a little bit of his coming out post. Um, I don't know what the outcome of this post will be. This is from March 2013, 2021. But I hope this can be helpful to someone. Um, the next sentence, all on its own, is I'm gay. That may not be a shock to some people, but I know I want to be very true to myself and not who I hide who I am. Um, then he goes on in another paragraph to say, this doesn't change who I am. I'm still Jack. I'm the Jack who loves to dance. I'm the same Jack who would love to put anyone first. I'm the same Jack that loves God and Jesus Christ. I'm the same Jack that encourages people to go the extra mile. And then in the last paragraph, it says, thank you from the bottom of my heart to all have supported me through this journey and continue to support me. So I think of all these talents that Jackson has, um, that sometimes in a male um, culture, we don't embrace, we don't support dance um, being one of them potentially. And I could sell in your YSA ward, it was hard to feel like you belong because you just had different talents than the other men. And um, I think God created you with these unique talents. And I think I want to just give you a compliment for not bearing these talents, as the scriptures invite us not to do, but you're growing these talents, Jackson. And I would even say perhaps your sexual orientation is a talent. I look at everybody's sexual orientation as part of their ability to bless people's lives. So I don't think it's wrong to look at anybody's sexual orientation or gender identity and elevate or or unelevate somebody based on that. It's part of their talent. It's part of their ability to bless God's children. And I think you've learned that at a young age, that this part of you makes your life possible. So anyway, that was a kind of a five-minute, just some thoughts that came to my mind, listeners, but I'll turn it back to you, Jackson. Yeah, I love that, Richard, and I, and I appreciate what you have done for me and the community of the saints and the LGBTQ and just 
being Christ-like. And I think that's, that's what it all comes down to. I think, I think love. Um, what, it, what it really, really comes down to is genuine love for people for who they truly are. Um, and then this, this quote is by a guy named Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, he is a big mentor of many. Um, and I recently just started following him a couple months ago. Um, and he has a book called the, Th- the four agreements. And well, I think it's called the three agreements. I can't, I can't remember. Um, I can send you the link to it. Um, but one of his quotes says only when our intent comes from a place of love rather than a place of fear, do we create peace in our world, in the world and in our lives? And I think it's so true. When our lives are created by love and, and intent, there, there's no need to fear. And I think that's what Christ teaches. I think that's that he teaches from a place of love and intent. He was so intentional about his life. Um, he was so intentional to the point of he knew exactly where to be at the right exact time. And I think that, that that's a divine purpose. And I'm seeing that in my life. Um, and I, uh, I, I hope to share that with others. Um, and I'm going to bring it back to our why. When we are driven by purpose, we will be truly happy. And um, I, I, I know that. I know that um, life can be very difficult and it can be very earth-shakingly painful. Um, but we can't dwell on it. We can't dwell on it because there are people out there that need our light. And I believe everyone has light in them. That's awesome. That's a great quote. Um, you're very good at bringing hope to others. Um, I think that's part of your life mission. You had a really golden nugget I wrote down is that your um, mental health when you were focused almost entirely on your future that was hard and i think you are just focusing on becoming the best self you can be right now and a lot of people that are lgbtq at your age aren't sure of their future and i think culturally in the lds church we want we we want to culturally um sort of project that we've got our future figured out so a lot of people that i talk to at your age about their career um, sexual orientation isn't something that comes up a lot, but it does, you know, in the space I'm in, cause we talk about that a lot, but I think it's takes courage just to say, I don't know my future. Um, sometimes I'll run across someone career wise at your age that says, I don't know. And I think that's a position of strength just to say, I am confident enough in myself to say, I don't know, I'm working on it and I'm being exposed to a lot of different career paths, but especially when it comes to all these different roads you could take as a gay Latter-day Saint and, I think people often want to sort of, we're focused on outcomes and we want to kind of know where you're going. And I think I've learned to just slow, try to slow people down by not asking that question. Just say, I love you. I trust you. Um, and just do what you're already doing is focus on being the best self. Now, I think um, you're doing a really good job of that. And I think for these key forks in the roads that some of you that are LGBTQ face, like, what am I going to do? Marry a woman, marry a man, be celibate, leave the church, stay the church. I think you need to be your best personal self um, when you're approaching those forks in the road that at some point you're going to need to t- address. And if you're pre-mission right now, you may not need to address those, even though you know you will. And you work on becoming your very best personal self and serve a great mission. But often, just like it hit you, you've got those forks in the road as you're coming home from Texas become real. They're not just theoretical because now you're home and you're in a YSA ward, as you know, and you're dating. And that brought you into a pretty dark spot, as you've shared with our listeners, because those forks in the road can bring um, the reality of the complexity of your situation. So I... And I'm, there's some of me that wishes you didn't have to face that, that we just had better paths for you and better understanding. And I I just recognize the complexity of your situation that I didn't face at your age and your peers in the YSA ward didn't face unless there's some other LGBTQ. And I think you're doing just a really good job of, of 
becoming the very best person self you can be and making your best way forward. And I think you've got family and friends that are just focused on my job is to love you and trust you and walk with you with sort of out an agenda. That's hard to do as parents and friends. We want people to, you know, if we're connected to church, it's logical. We want people to stay connected to the church, but I think we just honor agency and say, I love you. I'll keep the family circle together. I'll walk with you without an agenda. I'll be in your life. And I'll just support you and just leave any judgment to our Savior and his understanding. So that's kind of the way listeners, I think Jackson knows this, but that's kind of the way I navigate this space. Talk, I don't know how you feel about that, Jackson. Exactly. I, I, I love when you said and when, when you said that. I think, yeah, and I'm going to be honest here, because um, that, that's who I am. I think a lot of us, especially my parents, they, they have even said, um, you know, we we didn't expect this to be we didn't expect this to be like in in our family. Um, you know, we we kind of I I think when parents um when parents say that like oh my kids are gonna do this they're gonna have a wonderful family they're gonna marry in the temple and they're gonna do this this and this. That's wonderful things. Those those are amazing things. But once you start planning your children's life, that's when you fail. And I say that because that's taking away agency. That's when 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 you say, "Oh, I, I wish like this is what my this is what my kids are going to do because this is what I did and this is this is how I I plan out their life." It's it's really traumatic because you you feel like you're so obligated to do these things. Um, and kind of that that's how like i i felt i i felt in the church like okay you're supposed to do all these things in order to make you um so-called like holy and so-called like this is um this is what makes you you better you know what i mean and 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 the church does it teaches you so many good morals and i and i have those in my life i i i do do I wish that I can bring my boyfriend to church? Do I wish I could be married in the temple with my significant other? Yeah, I, I, I wish that. I, I Don't get me wrong. I wish that was a thing. And I think we all do. I think we all do in this, the community of the church, LGBTQ. And, um, but I think once we place, once we plan other people's futures, that's when the struggle happens and that's when love doesn't is not a defining factor you know and and i think when when we realize we realize when we just love people for who they are if they're your children if they're not if you say it's this is their life and it's okay for what they're doing because this is what they see as fit for their life right now that's okay that that is okay um and so i as i as i look at it you're not going to please everyone you're just not going to and how harsh that may sound it's that's how life is um and i think love is we just need more love in the world and i think when we realize personally how we can do that what that looks like for each and every one of us then we will be more like christ i think that's great and i'm thinking of becky mcintosh's book listeners love boldly and if you're a parent that's new to the lgbtq space it's a terrific book it's a desert book or online and she just she has a son in a same-sex marriage and that's been a journey for that family, but and I'm not saying necessarily that's your path, but it may be your path. But it's the reality of a lot of families with um, gay sons and daughters that they do end up in a same-sex marriage. And I listeners don't invite people down that path. I invite everybody to stay in the church. But if someone sort of self-determines for themselves, that's their best path forward. I'll say I'll walk with you and. Becky McIntosh, it's a good book because she basically said everybody and anybody's going to be welcome in her home and I'm going to leave judgment to the Savior. And it was kind of relieving for her. It says, I'm not your Savior. <laughs> I can be your mother or your father and I can keep the family circled together. 
And I'm just, and it's often relieving for parents as they go. And it's a grieving process sometimes for the outcome they had hoped and the reality of where their children are, are, that often they can get to the point. And often it's through temple attendance and prayer and scripture study and the revelation they received is these, this is my child too. And, you know, your eternal family, don't decide your eternal family is not going to be together at this point. Just, you know, love, do the things you can do. And sometimes it's really relieving for parents to say, okay, I can love my kid. If that's all you're asking me to do is to love my kid and keep my family circle together and not have certain outcomes that I'd maybe at one point hoped for, that I can do that. And it's often very relieving for LDS parents. So I share that with parents, not with Jackson as much as just parents that are listening. Jackson's kind of talked, you know, touched on this, but... And we do these podcasts just to try to bring us together as the same human family and um, to humanize people like Jackson, a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, you know, if we think about his story, listeners, I get tenderhearted. He's, you know, he's a survivor of, you know, sexual abuse and the courage to talk about that with his brother and his parents and how freeing that was. And he served a mission, helped people. It was hard, but there's a lot of people in Texas that are better because of you, Jackson. And then you're a guy that's just embraced who he is. You didn't wait till you're 50 or 40 or 30. And I think you'll look back, your older selves look back and say, you know, going to barber school, loving dance, all the things that you've been gifted with, these talents that you have that sometimes don't fit nicely in a cultural normative or a... Um, a man, you've just said, I'm strong enough and self-aware and self-confident myself that I'm being the very best Jackson Jensen that I can be, because this is how God created me, including my sexual orientation. And I think your older selves will be really kind to you for the work you're doing right now, just to be you and be really thoughtful and stay as close as you can to God and meditate and and do the very best you can. And I think you have a great life ahead of you. And I think you've done a great job to get where you are at this point to make the rest of your life. And I think you'll continue to God in your life and continue to do the best you can. So I'm not really your, I'm, I'm a podcast host. I'm not your YSA bishop or a friend. I don't say that in any church standing. But just my impressions, listener, just lis- listeners just listening to this good man, and maybe that's me talking to those of you that need to hear um, those kind of thoughts about you and your talents and who you are as you're making your way forward. So I'll leave it to you for any final comments, Jackson. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, I just I, I just appreciate you um, and letting me share my story on um, this podcast. Um, I just want to say if, if any of you listeners out there, um, are struggling with, um, sexual abuse or have been sexually assaulted, um, I, um, would love to talk. Um, I am, I'm here. I am present. Um, I, I don't know all the answers. I'm not perfect, um, by any means, but I, I do know that, we can we can grow as one, um, and I I do have goals and plans for my future, and I I hope that I can I can make a name for myself and um, people can know who I, who I am. So I'm I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the life that I'm living right now, and I'm I'm grateful for my family, um, to them for for loving me for for who I am and. Um, just being, being the people that they are. So I'm just thankful. How do people get in contact with you? Um, I do have an Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is Jackson Terrell. Um, and then uh, Facebook, just my last name, Jackson Jensen. And then I can add that to um, yeah, so listeners, we'll put in the show notes, we'll put, and when I post this on Instagram and Facebook, I'll make sure to tag Jackson. You've got kind of a common name, so we'll make sure to do that. So we, <laughs> there's probably a few Jackson Jensen's, but you did give out your Instagram handle. And if your parents are listening, I think this is a great credit to you. Um, you've got a great son here, and 
Um, I think it's a credit to the values in your family and the things you've taught um, your son and all your family. You have a great family. And I think this is a beautiful family love story that I'm hearing here of, of your family staying close and, and the connection. And it's a credit to your parents that you felt safe enough to talk about your sexual abuse and then later your sexual orientation. So there's a family culture that, in your culture that has created a feeling of safety that I've always wanted to create in my family as a parent. We have six kids and we've wanted to create a culture that our kids would be open with us about the realities of their lives. So great job to your parents, but especially to you, Jackson Jensen. Thank you for your courage to be on the podcast. And um, this is Jackson Jensen and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.